This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. I did a bad thing. I'm going to have to so kick you before, off the podcast right yeah. as we get going. <laughs> well, no. No, I don't think so. But uh, before we got on here to record, I rewatched the uh, the last arc of uh, The Clone Wars. Okay. The Siege of Bandit. Yeah. And I rewatched uh, Jedi Knight uh, and I GHD. So nice. yeah, I'm, I am uh, depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Sad endings for both, but yet so well done and amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can't believe how well done the uh, the Siege of Mandalore was. Just like the whole thing, uh, mm-hmm. and, and uh, the ending, especially the ending. Yeah, um, that's what just takes it up a notch and just makes it a truly amazing piece of star wars content yeah like, like when after they crash on the on that planet mm-hmm. and just the ref- oh, the reflection yeah. of seeing vader and the clone trooper helmet and the visor it's just yeah i always symbolize it as this is what the clone wars inevitably was all about the fall of the republic the rise of the empire and it's just a, a again a tragedy for the story not of the clones and just uh, so many others in that era just so symbolic and so beautifully done uh so so good um also a bit of a gaffe on i guess uh the whole team is so ahsoka um does that thing with the helmets right she puts Mm -hmm. the ahsoka trooper helmets up and jesse's helmet up and um like there's like the burial site yeah. And she drops her lightsaber, right? Mm. And uh, Vader comes later, and it's snowing. And you can see, like, the, the top of the Stormtrooper's helmet. I mean, <laughs> the Clone Trooper's helmets, right? Mm. Because of the snow. But then her lightsaber is right there. Well, uh- as far as you think it was a mistake for her to leave it? That- no, no, no. Um, it, it had snowed, right? So the uh, 
Oh, you think it would be buried more? Yeah, it would be buried more, right? Because you can only see the 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 top of the clone trooper helmets. Okay. So it would be deeper down because she put it on the ground, right? She dropped uh-huh. it on the ground. So okay, I follow you. just like wait till you the snow, and then it's right there. Well, maybe the troopers kind of dug it up a little bit, and they discovered it, and they didn't want to touch it any further, and that's when they called Vader in. So he yeah, could... but then there would be a hole there, so. <laughs> right where they dug. Yeah. Only you would find something like that. <laughs> Some random little flaw. <laughs> really you can't look at it as a perfect ending now, then. Yeah, I guess so. I guess, you ruined uh, the entire Siege of Mandalore arc for me. Well, when the special editions of all the Clone Wars episodes comes out. <laughs> They'll be sure to fix that. Yeah. Every single one. Yeah. All seven seasons. <laughs> Uh, hey, I'd buy it all over again if they did that, <laughs> without question. Um. Anyway, uh, let, let, let's do our uh, minute by minute commentary. Our fellowship of the ring minute by minute commentary. So, as always, make sure you grab your DVD, your Blu-ray, your HD DVD, your Beta, uh, your VHS, your Laserdisc, your Blockbuster rental, uh, your Netflix physical subscription. Uh, your DVHS and our favorite, our absolute favorite, the way that Peter Jackson wants you to watch his movie. VHS to DVD, converted copy. Make sure you've converted it to DVD. And uh, I'm going to give you a countdown. So, Tim, are you? Oh, wait. <laughs> We're going from, uh, what is it, minutes uh, 13 to minute 14. So, Tim, are you ready? I am ready. All right. Three, two, one. Hit play. And it's a Bilbo's in a position that we've all been in. They're losing a keys or a wallet. <laughs> yeah. Panicking. Except I don't think we're addicted to our wallets. <laughs> well, maybe for someone who's addicted to getting money all the time. <laughs> that's yeah. all they care about. <laughs> And this was another extended scene added to the movie for the extended cut. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's in the original? Nope. Because we don't first see Bilbo to Gandalf opens or knocks on the door in the theatrical cut. Yeah. That look on Gandalf's face. It's like, I was like, worrisome look, but then when Frodo looks at him, this plays aloof. <laughs> and that classic Frodo meme. Go on, keep your secrets. <laughs> And that was a pretty darn quick minute. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just like you go panicking and then this whole dialogue scene with Frodo and Gandalf. I, I, I still am amazed at uh, seeing actual sunlight touch actual grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to mention characters actually talking to each other. Yeah. For <laughs> so long not... in the prologue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but now we can move on to our future topic. So, uh, Tim, it's it's an all you future topic because <laughs> I haven't seen. I got I, I, <laughs> I couldn't get into Titans and this Marvel, Marvel, Marvel. What if is? I, I don't even know what that is. Um, I, I will say, Tim, I did rewatch um, 
now I forget to I forget the name of the movies. Uh, <laughs> Marvel <laughs> movies, though, right? Yeah, the the two last uh, Avengers movies: Endgame okay. and Infinity War. Infinity War. I was about to yeah. say Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> um, really good. Uh, really good. Um, I gotta say, Endgame goes on a bit too long. Uh, especially for like somebody that doesn't know what's really going on. Mm-hmm. You see, uh, was Endgame? I yeah. mean, I'm oh, sorry, I cut you off. <laughs> no, no, go ahead. go ahead. But it's like how Infinity War and Endgame, obviously, the two separate movies. I think Infinity War is the better movie. But when you watch them both, man, it's just such a one great complete story. If anything, Endgame it is three hours, and I think maybe in the middle of it. They could have trimmed certain scenes here and there, but once you get to the end where they get all they get the Infinity Stones, they get everyone yeah. back. There's the big battle. There's a funeral for Tony Stark. All that stuff is just golden <laughs> to me. It's just the ultimate payoff for a lot of these characters and what they build up for um, at that time. What was 11 years in the making? So I can kind of agree what you're saying, where it goes on a little bit too long in certain areas. But for me, it's kind of mainly in a little bit in the middle sections with the time travel stuff. Um. Yeah, about that is. Uh, did you get? I mean, did, did you Marvel fans know that? I mean, it's pretty obvious um, that Iron Man was going to die. That. No, no, no way. I was. My I, money was I on mean, Captain like, America, actually. So, I mean, like I, I was just figuring, like, there's that scene with his daughter. He's playing with his daughter, and mm-hmm. he goes back in time and sees his. Uh, his dad and has a little time with his dad. It's like, oh, okay. Uh, Iron Man's going to die. <laughs> See, I always knew it was going to be someone big was going to die. But I was, like I said, I was banking on Captain America. But, man, how they did it with Tony was just perfect. I mean, like you said, for the reasons you mentioned. But then just when you look back at the whole start of the MCU, where he's the one who started it all. And he should be the one to do the final blow, make the ultimate sacrifice. And even you look back at the first Avengers movie where... Captain America kind of calls him out on that. We're saying you're not the one to make like the ultimate sacrifice and fall on the grenade or cut the wire. Yeah. Tony says, I'd rather just cut the wire or something like that. But then leads up to that big heroic moment where he does make the ultimate sacrifice. So what exactly kills him? The power of that, uh, the, the gems, infinity stone. Yeah. It's just all with all six of them. Yeah. It's just way too much for a mortal to handle, even with that, his mechanicalized version of the Infinity Gauntlet. It's still too much for him to take. I see. And, those, are, uh, those are actually uh, next on my, because I've been doing an entire MCU 4K rewatch, and those are the next yeah. two up on my on my list. So I, it'll be a long night, but I'm trying to squeeze in maybe if I can watch it back to back. But we'll see if that happens. So it's like what, like six hours? Oh, movie. pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, one thing I don't get is um, during that entire like end battle scene between like uh, I forget the villain's name. <laughs> Thanos. Yeah, Thanos. Right. Uh, between that guy and uh, the Avengers. When did uh, Pepper Potts get her suit? It, was that like in the third Iron Man movie, or like? Uh, it's she didn't really get her. She wore an Iron Man suit in that third movie, where um, yeah. it was like an emergency situation where Tony just 
put the parts of the suit to go on her to protect her as his house was crumbling down. So she did wear a suit. But then you just kind of have to assume since it's a five-year gap between Infinity War and Endgame. At some point. At some point, Tony made her a suit. She trained in it and all that type of stuff where she was able to use it like she did at the end of that battle. So are people like, um, I didn't see her train with that suit. You know, my favorite part of these Marvel movies and Star Wars movies are when they, I see them train. <laughs> I'm sure there was someone who said that <laughs> or complained about that. But you know how these so-called fans can get. Yeah. Uh, so so how come uh, Captain America can lift up Thor's hammer? Because he is that like he proved himself worthy. Yeah, <laughs> he's. Oh, oh, you said that, to prove himself worthy. Yeah, it's your. It's I don't remember the exact inscription on me on there Thor's hammer, but it says he who proves himself worthy can wield the hammer of Thor and Captain America being one of the most selfless, uh, pure, I think probably mortals there could be that we've seen over the course of the MCU. He proved himself worthy to wield it. And boy, was that an amazing moment. You know, my one regret about seeing Endgame was I didn't get to go to like one of the first screenings at like six or seven o'clock. Because that was like right before my local theater started doing uh, reserved seating. So it was one of those points we had to get there early. But I had to take a family member to the doctor that day. And it kind of took up most of the day by the time the doctor point was over. Um, didn't get to the theater early enough. So every screening room was packed. I was like, ah, don't want my first experience seeing this movie to be in the very front. <laughs> Have a neck ache by the time it's over. So I ended up going to like, Another theater that wasn't too far away, but it was like a 4 a.m. showing. It was like a 3 or 4 a.m. Wow. showing. And it, this crowd wasn't, I mean, understand, understandably, wasn't the biggest crowd. It wasn't sold out. It wasn't totally into it like you would at those early screenings. I just can only imagine being at one of those early screenings with the reaction that Captain America wielding Thor's hammer for the first time would have got. And you can see the YouTube videos of people filming the theater reaction. It's awesome. But um just didn't get that in my first viewing experience, which was a little bit of regret I've had. So, also, <laughs> sorry, I have like a lot of questions about like uh, those last two movies, especially like after you skip over the majority of the movies. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so how come Thor is is all depressed and trapped uh, in Norway? Is is that because like uh, his his planet got destroyed or whatever? That plays a part in it. That's kind of everything leading up to that. But the biggest thing is where his hubris kind of got the better of him. That cost everything because he that new a stormbreaker hammer he got could have easily killed Thanos. And as Thanos oh. said, he should have went for the head. But Thor wanted to make Thanos know that he was the one who killed him. And just to yeah. kind of have him suffer just a little bit. And because of that, Thanos was able to use his last bit of strength to snap his fingers and get away. And because Thor didn't do the killing blow, but he had to prove to Thanos that he would be the one to kill him. That kind of put him in that depressed state, <laughs> knowing that technically it was a big part of it. The blame goes to him for not doing that killing blow all because of his ego. I see. Um, and, uh, Scarlet is it Scarlet Witch or uh no uh, wow Black I Widow her name 
Black Widow. Okay. <laughs> Played by Scarlett Johansson. Yes. <laughs> Not to be confused uh, with Scarlet Witch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she's dead in the Avengers movies, right? Yeah, that she, was the She's dead, and she's not coming back, right? Not as of, um, not as of yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they released the movie after her character died, or um, like like in the timeline, or well, in, in the life? timeline, it takes place before, before the events of right. Endgame. It takes place right after Civil War. Um, where everyone's kind of on the run a little bit or <laughs> captain america's team's on the run well that's kind of weird how they sort of flashback yeah but that was really good and we didn't talk about that on one of our episodes but i really enjoyed black widow it kind of filled filled in that gap nicely and just a great not an origin story for her but just showing more of her background and it parts of her past and people that she had in her past that i wasn't expecting but it was it was really good and really well done yeah i don't know if it's uh thirty dollars good uh, for, for uh, someone i just like that this way i saw it with a few people i did uh, and uh it would have been cheaper than paying for like four movie tickets <laughs> so i paid oh, the thirty dollars yeah. to watch that home with some family and that was it so it was worth it for that but i think it's going to be available like a month or two just for all subscribers so the wait's not too long okay um yeah i think that's it on the the avengers questions (laughs) the marvel sort of thing speaking of all the marvel movies and we got to talk about this the new spider-man no way home trailer i'm sure that's going to raise tons of more questions (laughs) if you're not familiar not just with the mcu but the older spider-man movies (laughs) But yeah, man, I love that trailer. <laughs> I, I I sort of uh, I don't know. I guess there was kind of a bump in the road with uh, uh, Far From Home, where it, it I don't know. It it just kind of felt a little boring. Mm, you know? Yeah, and so like I'm excited for this one. Uh, again, it's like I I don't really know what's going on. How come Doctor Strange is in it? Uh, like That's the beauty of the Marvel Universe, Marvel movie universe. Yeah, I mean, happen, right? It's just, yeah, it's like comic books. Certain characters pop up at certain issues here and there, and that's just the same for movies. That's what I love about it so much. Yeah, I guess so. I guess that would work out, right? But, yeah, it would make sense. What I think they should do is they should send Spider-Man back in time, right? Mm-hmm. Like, send him back in time, and he can like fight and do all these different things. And I mean, there's only so many places you you can go in the current day, right? Mm-hmm. And so, just send them back in time. Um, who knows? They might get to that point at some somewhere down the line to keep making these movies. But I think they're tackling the multiverse aspect first, <laughs> where oh. instead of time or time periods, it'll be different timelines <laughs> that he'll be going to, or other characters will be showing up in his timeline, but. They're going real crazy <laughs> with the multiverse, and I, I'm all, I'm here for it. <laughs> I think it's going to be really cool. I mean, obviously, you know, the old villains are coming back with Doctor Octopus, Green Goblin, Jamie Foxx is confirmed he's back as Electro, and you're hearing all the reports, and it's becoming the worst secret <laughs> in Hollywood right now about Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield coming back in this to play their respective Spider-Mans and Peter Parkers. 
So I I wasn't expecting the trailer to show them because you know that's going to be the big moment of the movie. But it was just I felt the trailer did an awesome job as not revealing all those big moments, but teasing just enough of some of that big stuff that we're going to get in this movie that just got me really, really excited. So uh, I, to me, I thought it was a perfect teaser trailer that didn't reveal too much, but had all the elements in there and teases to get you plenty excited for what's to come. What about uh, Paul Giamatti? Uh, I'd be okay if they leave him out. (laughs) (laughs) Not the best uh, showing of the rhino. uh, Kirsten Dunst as uh, MJ. There's, Reports that she might be in it as well. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I, I guess they want to try to bring as many of the familiar characters back as they can. <laughs> uh, what about uh, uh, what's that lizard guy's name uh, from that first The Amazing Spider-Man movie? The actor's name or the character's name? Because <laughs> the, the actor's, actor's name, name, I don't remember. <laughs> But the the character's name? Uh, Kurt Connors. Kurt Connors, yeah. Bring him back, too. I think he might be the lizard. Really? And maybe it just be as a lizard, but if they do bring the lizard, and we know Green Goblin's going to be back, I hope they are the two where they're, they look different. I want lizard to have more of a snout so he looks like a lizard, and Green Goblin just to have a totally new costume, because <laughs> that first suit didn't look good then, and it doesn't look good almost 20 years later. <laughs> Let me see. I'm, I'm just. Uh, yeah, and I don't think Topher Grace uh, is coming back it. as Eddie Brock. <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> he's, he's not with the uh, with those fangs and that, <laughs> that black stuff all over his face. Yeah. Uh, the biggest uh, disappointments I've ever had in the movie. <laughs> Uh, Reese I Evans, Reese okay. is the guy who played Kurt Connor slash the lizard. Has he been in anything else? I don't think I've seen him in anything else. Uh, he's a British actor, Welsh actor. Sorry. Uh, hmm. he was familiar. <laughs> Harry Potter. Harry Potter, Tim. The last okay. one. Uh, nope, that's it. <laughs> well, he, he's he's in uh, the the Kingsman, the the upcoming Kingsman sequel. Okay, yeah, I haven't seen any of those movies. So. Don't think I'll probably be seeing the third one. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's it. Well. Uh, We'll see if he comes back as one of the secret characters in Spider-Man No Way Home. But I have a feeling that this might be the lizard as a CG character if they do bring that character back. But, is uh, Martin Sheen going to be playing uh, Dan Parker? I don't think so. First, we need to see what this, what the Tom Holland's Uncle Ben looks like. Oh, yeah, that's right. We've never seen him. He hasn't been seen. He hasn't been mentioned. He's been hinted at. We saw his briefcase that Peter took with him on his trip in far from home but actually haven't seen him yet and this is a funny joke that <laughs> i think would be kind of awesome where since marissa tomei plays at may to get jason alexander from seinfeld to play uncle ben because <laughs> of that classic yeah. seinfeld episode where george tries to uh, go out with marissa tomei 
that would be the Wait, ultimate what? fun casting. <laughs> she she plays herself. Yeah, she plays herself on that episode. Yeah. Uh, doesn't uh, Jason Alexander work for the Yankees? Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Those those seasons where he uh, worked for the Yankees, though, those are some of the best Seinfeld seasons ever. <laughs> those conversations he, he'd have with George Steinbrenner. <laughs> Did, did they actually show George Steinbrenner? No, it was always from the back, and it was he was voiced by Larry uh, David too, so it was an exaggerated take uh, on Steinbrenner. But man, it was funny. <laughs> there so was did he, he did show up for... as himself. Steinbrenner did make a guest appearance on an episode, but it was a cut scene, so technically yeah. he was never in an episode. But they did film a sequence with him. What did he do for the Yankees? He was assistant to the traveling secretary, so he would like try to schedule like hotels and for road trips and stuff like that <laughs> for the team. Uh, very important. There was an episode where he tried to get a promotion to be, I think assistant to the general manager. And he was trying to work out these trades where he was trying to get Ken Griffey Jr. And bonds. <laughs> he figured out a trade where he can get them without giving up too much, but he never said who, the, who he'd have to give up, but just how he worked out something to try to get Griffey and bonds. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking through like the uh, the Amazing Spider-Man two cast. Uh, it's like who could? Who there's could like talk? some actors in there that you kind of forget. Like Felicity Jones, she was in the movie as Felicia Harding, aka Black Cat, but that was a real small role, and obviously nothing went of it because that series was canceled, but. BJ Novak from The Office was in there as Alistair Smythe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I would have totally for, forgot that. I mean, I totally, I did totally forget that Felicity Jones was in this movie. Yeah. I've only seen that movie like three times. I'll probably have to revisit it before No Way Home comes out. But yeah, that was something where right. classic trying to cram too much in there and set too much up in future movies that eventually never happened anyway. But that does yeah, have the, well, the... I mean... Oh, just because that has the, my favorite is, Spider-Man costume in a movie. I love that suit. Well, I mean, you can kind of... Uh, you kind of see where they were going, right? Because, I mean, this was 2014, and, you know, the Marvel movies were... were big stuff, right? Yeah, they are hitting their stride. Uh, yeah, so... Like they they wanted to do that thing where it was like okay so we're gonna put in a character right here and this character will pay off in ten years yeah right <laughs> pretty much it's like I, I I was reading like in the original Iron Man the, those guys that kidnapped Tony Stark and put him in the cave are somehow mm-hmm. tied to uh, Shang Chi. The organization with the Ten Rings. Yeah, I guess yeah or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if it's going to be a direct tie-in for like this. I don't think it's going to be the same organization, but it's maybe someone that, like a group that's kind of splintered off and did their own thing from the Ten Rings organization. Oh, but they're just Or they took that name based on the actual Ten Rings that we're going to see in Shang-Chi. But it wasn't definitely planned that way at the get-go. It's something where they kind of look back on Iron Man and say, hey, we could use this for that. Yeah, you know what I don't get about that that Iron Man 
movie, that first Iron Man movie. So Tony Stark gets kidnapped. He puts that thing in his chest that gives him life and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's that guy helping him. And then so the guy helps him build the suit. So like Tony Stark is like, okay, so I'm gonna, you're going to help me build this awesome suit with guns and stuff. And I'm going to be totally protected. But you just stay behind me and hopefully you don't get shot or blown up. <laughs> well, we didn't have time to make two, so <laughs> Tony would be the better one to know how to use it. But he didn't fall- I'd be like, you know, uh, can you make me a suit too? Well, you know, I mean, well, a lot of parts you, here. You kind of learned that his intention was to die anyway. He didn't really plan on escaping because he wanted to be with his family. So that's okay. I, I want to die. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think he even yeah. said this was always the plan, Stark. Like, he never intended to get out of there alive. He just uh, wanted to make sure Tony got out. Okay. <laughs> that makes sense. I fixed that I problem for a... you. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the Clone Wars one. <laughs> I, I wonder if uh, Dennis Leary is coming back to play uh, Gwen Stacy's dad. <laughs> I forgot about it. I forgot he was in that too. Yeah. Uh, of course, uh, probably the best actor in in uh, the Spider-Man movies, Dane DeHaan. Yeah. <laughs> He's definitely going to be coming back. Yeah. Right, Tim? Or just on his name alone, that's why they have to bring him yeah. back, right? <laughs> yeah. Of course. Uh, I think this is the only thing I've ever seen him in. So. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, I did see, I saw Chronicle, which was pretty good. And I saw that movie, uh, what was that sci-fi one he was in a few years ago? That that wasn't that great, but can't think of the name of it now. <laughs> uh, is it is it called uh, Cure for Wellness? No. I know which one you're talking about. Um, just trying to look for it. Uh, name? Valerian. Valerian, yeah, that's it. Yeah. That was supposed to be like the big uh, new sci-fi thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> like kind of like John Carter. Yeah, it didn't really turn into a franchise. Yeah. Neither did uh, John Carter, so. No. <laughs> That's, I think played a part in Disney wanted to buy Star Wars. <laughs> so they yeah. could have a for sure bankable sci-fi franchise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, he was also in uh, Metallica Through the Never. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> Metallica concert film. But anyway, <laughs> what are we talking about there? <laughs> yes, uh, well, we're still going to be on a little bit of the Marvel topic. So basically, the future uh-huh. topic was going to be some recap of the latest comic book TV shows like Titans and Marvel's What If. So um, I'll go ahead and start with What If first. And this series was just such a great concept because there has been the Marvel What If comic book series has been uh, around for years. I don't think it's continuing right now, but it's in the 90s. I got a few issues like one of the ones that stood out to me was what if Wolverine led Alpha Flight instead of the X-Men and this different type of what if scenarios is always such a cool concept. So it made sense that it would make for a good TV show for the MCU as well and having it be animated too. um, This is the first MCU animated series. Uh, real quick, before I forget, this I'm sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you or anything. Um, so, 
at the end of Avengers Endgame, right? So Captain okay. America goes back in time, right? Mm-hmm. And he meets up with um, I forget her name. Peggy Carter. Uh, his girlfriend, Peggy Carter, right? Uh, what year are they in? It is in back in the forties. Yeah. Oh. Don't remember the exact year, but it's definitely in the forties after the war. Oh, I see. No, because I I, I saw that image of her as Captain uh, England or Captain Captain Carter is is the name she goes by in the what if series. Yeah. I see. see. Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you. That was a valid question. So, yeah, there's the first three episodes obviously dealing with what if scenarios, basically, if things were different, it, that and played out differently than what we saw in the MCU movies. And it's I like how they have it where it's the watcher, this cosmic being in the Marvel Universe, who's able to see all these different timelines and outcomes, but doesn't interfere, but is here to tell us the stories. So <laughs> I just like how they do him in there as one of the narrators um, played by Jeffrey Wright, who we'll later see as Commissioner Gordon. And the first episode um was has to do with captain carter like you said and that one i liked it but i didn't love it as much i was hoping to and the reason for it being where i felt it was following too closely to the beats and just retelling the captain america first avenger movie of course being different with steve not getting the super soldier serum but Peggy carter was and just the it just felt like it was following it a little too closely than um, I was hoping it would. At the same time, I understand that because it is technically a different scenario, but there was taking scenes directly from the movie, just with obviously Peggy Carter now acting in the role as the first Avenger instead of Steve. And Steve gets this uh, first makeshift Iron Man suit that Howard Stark built for him. So there was definitely some cool action. The animation looked um, really good in the action. The animation in general, like the character designs, um, it's not bad, but it's not my favorite also. Um, but when it's in motion, you see the action. I think that style works really good for action sequences. So seeing Peggy Carter fight Nazis, Red Skull, and different uh, enemies it played out really, really well. And uh, it's kind of they did a little bit of how Captain America ended, where she gets lost in not frozen in time, but she kind of gets sacrifices herself into a portal that Red Skull was using the Tesseract for to bring in this uh, monster being and she trap it to get it back inside. She goes inside with it and locks it so he can't escape. So she's gone. So she's technically gone just like Steve was. Um, so, But I think they've hinted where they're going to bring her back in a future episode as well. So uh, the first episode, like I said, got off to a nice start, but I not, didn't love it. I was hoping it would because it is falling a little too closely to um, the beats of the first Captain America movie and also the humor and the jokes didn't land as well that they were telling in this story. It just sent, it just sent off. <laughs> so, and those two things kind of hindered it from being as great as I wanted it to be. But the next two episodes, um, this is those, these next two were what I was really hoping for and to see in these, what if scenarios where they just go full blown crazy <laughs> on just being totally different, especially the second one where it's what if, uh, T'Challa became star Lord where instead of Peter Quill getting picked up by the Ravagers in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie as a little kid, they pick up T'Challa from Wakanda. And they, they play it where T'Challa is a kid who just wants to explore and see the world and just, instead of being kept inside Wakanda. And so when he gets picked up by the Ravagers, he agrees to go with them to travel in space and he becomes Star-Lord. He's raised by Yondu. And you just see the influence that 
T'Challa has as a person over the course of traveling through space and then coming in contact with these different beings that have big ramifications on events changing in the Marvel Universe. He even gets to Thanos and makes Thanos realize that his plan for eliminating half of the universe is wrong and there's better ways to um, sustain the resources of the galaxy. And he convinces Thanos that not to do that, not to compl- collect the Infinity Stones, go with his plan. And Thanos ends up being part of the team of Ravagers and is a good guy. And there's a running joke how he explains his plans to different characters and they're saying, yeah, that's pretty much genocide. And he tries to convince them, no, it's not like that. It would have worked, but uh, he doesn't go through with it because in the end he knows it's wrong. And he's, like I said, pretty much a good guy in this story. So I've just seen these different scenarios uh, play out with T'Challa as Star-Lord instead of Peter Quill and seeing how certain characters have happier endings and uh, better stories as far as not going through so much pain in their lives, like Nebula, who we've seen in the Guardians of the Galaxy, was tortured by Thanos. Um, that wasn't the case for her here. And getting to see T'Challa uh, interact with characters like Howard the Duck and team up for a little bit <laughs> was a lot of fun as they make their way through uh, the Collector's um, Palace or living quarters, whatever you want to call it, <laughs> on Nowhere. And just little Easter eggs planted, um, like we saw in Guardians, but with different scenarios that happened. It was just really, really fun to see this all play out. So that was a lot of fun. And just, again, going full-blown crazy in the what-if scenario, where it's just totally different than anything uh, you were expected or already saw in Guardians of the Galaxy or in Black Panther. And then the third episode, which just aired a couple of days ago, was really great words. I forget the exact title, but it was like, what if the Avengers never never existed or where Nick Fury tries to recruit the different members of the Avengers that we saw in the movie, but we see him get killed. They're being assassinated by this unknown character who doesn't get revealed to the end. And you're just seeing how Nick Fury has to try to deal with this to find out the mystery of who's doing this at the same time, cope with an invasion from Loki um, to where he's invading earth because the events were Thor tries to pick up his hammer in the first Thor movie, he gets assassinated. And so that angers Asgard. Loki tries to avenge him. They're going to invade Earth. So all these different scenarios that you see the first few Phase 1 Marvel movies kind of intersect into this one story where you got the Incredible Hulk, the first Thor, Iron Man 2. They're all kind of happening around the same time. But of course, things are happening differently because of these characters getting killed off. And then finding out who the culprit of it is was pretty fun where... Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the episode yet, where it gets revealed that Hank Pym was the one who was assassinating these characters using his Ant-Man technology um, for evil here, where he's angry at S.H.I.E.L.D. for his daughter, Hope Van Dyne, was an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., but she ends up getting killed. And he's taking his revenge out on Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. and from stopping him to recruit uh, this Avengers team. And just to see kind of Hank Pym go full-blown crazy and in his yellow jacket, uh, costume instead of their traditional Ant-Man costume um, made for an interesting fight scene where he's fighting Nick Fury, but ends up being revealed that he's actually fighting Loki because Loki and Fury come to a truce to try to stop their common enemy for this person who assassinated Thor and the other Avengers. So seeing Fury and Thor kind of team up was fun. And that leads to uh, Loki knowing he doesn't have any kind of threat or anyone to prevent him from taking over the earth does end up taking over the Earth and is ruling Earth. <laughs> so these totally different what-if scenarios played out just make for a very entertaining, very fun series. So I'm really liking it after getting off to an okay start 
for the, with the first one was Agent uh, or what if Peggy or Peggy Carter took the Super Soldier Serum. Um, like I said, enjoyable, solid start, but not great. But these next two ones I thought were really great. So I'm loving it. And just seeing these different variations of the timelines of the MCU is a lot of fun. And of course, this brings us or brings me to something where I kind of realized that we didn't get a chance to talk about as well. Because, you know, we did reviews for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, WandaVision, but we never got to talk about Loki too much. And did you see the whole series, Dane? Um, I'm not going to lie to him. I tried. I, I tried really hard. I tried three times. Wow, you didn't to, get into it. I didn't get into it. Uh, I know people are going crazy for it, and that was like the big show. I just couldn't get past that first episode. Wow, <laughs> and, really? Like, I, I know people are like, like kind of like the WandaVision uh, series, where it's like, you, you, you got to get past the first couple episodes, and everything will be good. And there's like a alligator Loki. Yeah. <laughs> and stuff, and like... Uh, I, I just couldn't get past, past that first episode. I just, I, I didn't know what was going on. You know, like, okay, so we're in that first Avengers movie, and we're seeing it from well, Loki technically Endgame. Endgame. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, because if you remember in Endgame where they go back to the first Avengers movie and Loki yeah. escapes with the Tesseract, so it picks up immediately and, after that. Oh, okay, so so in Endgame they changed their timeline. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then and Loki escapes, and then that's how he gets caught by those time cops. Yeah, that's why that's how the time uh, variants or get involved with that because uh, that Loki shouldn't exist, and that's why they're there to arrest him. Uh, I see. And then I I, I kind of didn't know what was going on when. Um, uh, Loki and uh, Owen Wilson are sitting in that room and they're just watching the MCU yeah. on that big TV thing, that TV yeah. projector. And like, so he escapes and then he goes, he's going into different times then. Yep. Just basically to stop any variant versions of people that shouldn't exist. But in this oh, case, okay. Owen Wilson's character, Mobius, is trying to use him to find another variant Loki that's killing part of their TVA agents. And so who better to try to stop a Loki than another Loki. So, uh, yeah, and and then go, they go to like Pompeii. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Loki so, was trying so to prove a, a Loki point there. That, no, Loki oh. was trying to prove a point that if, uh, a big event destroys something and you mess with it, it doesn't matter where it's not going to change anything. Like you can mess certain things up, maybe even hide out in that time period. And then escape right after because uh, the the TVA, which is that organization's called, their agents won't get you, follow you there because that place is going to be destroyed anyway. So he was just kind of proving a point. Uh, okay. And, and and then like I think like in the second episode they go to like a Renaissance fair or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like uh, there's a Loki there that they're trying to stop. Mm-hmm. That's as far as I got. Okay. Yeah, like I tried Tim. I, Tim, I know I'm not good at these Marvel things, and I know I make fun of them sometimes. <laughs> but like, I, I sincerely tried to to watch this this uh, TV show because everybody was talking about it, how good it was, and I felt like I did, uh, like like I was missing something. <laughs> and I guess I guess I was missing the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a bunch of movies, right? <laughs> 
for for basic understanding of the MCU. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love the series. It was, it's my favorite of the three we've gotten so far. Just, I just love the concept of it through the time travel, time variance of different characters, and this series really set the stage for the multiverse stuff that we're seeing with what if you can kind of they haven't i think officially said it but the different timelines we're seeing in the what if animated series could be springing off from the events that happened in loki and then even with spider-man coming up well that multi bringing over the multiverse is going to play a role in there that the events that happen in loki especially in the finale where loki and another variant of loki just in case you want to go back to it, I'm not going to spoil everything, just in case. <laughs> but okay. uh, the stuff they encounter, the per- the character they encounter in the final episode is a pretty big Marvel character. And someone who's played a, a, a villain in the Marvel comics, it was, looks to be, it's going to be an Ant-Man, the third Ant-Man movie. And I think it's going to, in general, going to play a bigger role in the MCU going forward. So it's, it's going to be probably a series that, if you're going to go into this next phase of the Marvel movies, you're probably going to want to check out because I think a lot of it's going to be referenced and just the events that happen here is going to have major ramifications on the future of the MCU. But in regards of just that, it was just a fun series to me. Like, like I said, dealing with that time travel aspect, Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson had great chemistry together in the series. So it was just very, very enjoyable. I just think everything about it just clicked for me. So yeah, I did, I I did like the uh, sort of plainness of it at uh, uh, <laughs> the Time Cops office. Yeah, where it was just like set in the seven like a seventies office, and like it's it's all about middle management, right? It's yep. like all like, <laughs> and, and bureaucracy. I did yeah, like that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, just just like place that exists outside of time and space as like these futuristic buildings these characters have these yeah. technological advancements but yet they got all these old school style office equipment paper yeah. uh, filing system and all that type of stuff so <laughs> I did like that aspect of it too so yeah if you ever get the urge I would still suggest to go back and revisit it at some point not right away but <laughs> I don't know I just feel like I would be totally lost on like it 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 it'd be kind of like like watching the Siege of Mandalore and not knowing anything about Star Wars. It's kind of how I feel about the television show, where it's like, yeah, I kind of don't know what's going on. I mean, I see they have lightsabers. I see they use the Force. Um, I think I've seen Darth Maul before, but I, I kind of don't know what's going on here. You know what I mean? Yeah, but hopefully the storytelling is being done so well that'll grab you <laughs> anyway. And then, especially in the case of Siege of Mandalore, where it'll, it'll make you enjoy, but then want to explore more of that history. That's always yeah. my hope of someone seeing something that they're not too familiar with. But not everyone, not everything's going to work for everyone. So, got to realize that as well. So yeah, definitely check out Marvel. What if? Um, it's been great. I'm not sure how many episodes there are, but I'm look. Listen, this is another series to look forward to every week. So <laughs> this this time, just an animated form in the Marvel universe. And then the other big comic book TV show that we've gotten the last few weeks is the third season of Titans, which is making its debut on HBO Max as far as new episodes go. And we they released the first three a couple of weeks ago, and then after these last two weeks, it's just been one a week. And I was excited to going into season three because of 
the storylines they're going to be doing and the characters they're bringing in. Obviously, Red Hood is the big tease and focus um, going into the season that we saw in the trailers. Barbara Gordon's going to be in here. Jonathan Crane is going to be in the season. So um, a lot to look forward to. And I have to say this season's off to a very solid start. Um, the first episode, I was kind of similar to uh, Marvel What If. I really enjoyed it, but there were certain elements about it that didn't really work for me. And that kind of just deals into a little bit how Bruce Wayne reacted to the death of Jason Todd. And that's the, obviously we knew that got going into it. We saw in the trailer, we were going to see the death of Jason Todd and then see him become red hood. And one thing I'll just say right off the bat, it's not a something that I think hinders the season, but it does something that it's something that happens or that they did that I felt would have worked better if there was a bigger time gap because the timeline between Jason being killed by the Joker and him coming back from Red Hood is really short. Uh, in this last episode, I think they just said it was about three months for when he died to when he comes back. And it just things seem to happen a little too quickly. And I guess I understand just from trying to do this two big storylines condensed in one season of television, you're kind of going to have to move things along pretty quickly. Um, so it's not really a detriment to the story that they're trying to tell. It's just something that I think works better when it's done over the course of a longer gap of time. But um, for what how they did it, they did it well as far as um, showing the death of Jason and that first episode. They, they didn't show the Joker, but they just showed him from behind his laugh and all that stuff. But it was a creepy setup that we saw in the, the trailer where Jason goes into an abandoned amusement park, sees this hanging dead body of a security officer with the grin on his face and then being ambushed by the Joker there. It was a great setup. And then it was... We saw something where Jason took this gas, like hallucinogen, where he he puts on a mask he, it's with an inhaler and uh, breathes in this gas. We don't know what exactly it does yet, but it just makes him go on to want to stop the Joker no matter what after Bruce tells him not to. And then the first episode deals with kind of with the aftermath of that. Um, Dick going back to Gotham to see Bruce to help him deal with Jason's death. And the part where I wasn't too keen on or didn't think worked the best was kind of how Bruce dealt dealt with it, where I wish they followed a little more closely to his reaction in A Lonely Place of Dying from the comics instead of what we got here, where he was immediately looking for a replacement for Jason, where he kind of really had a list of candidates that Dick discovers on his computer, where there's some funny stories there, like Stephanie Brown uh, was on there, Carrie Kelly has potential recruits for a new Robin. But I I like it better where Bruce kind of goes in the opposite direction, like we saw in the comics in A Lonely Place of Dying, where he's not going to take another partner. He's not going to want to lose someone else like he, like he lost Jason, and that was going to be the end of Robin. And so I did like that aspect better in the comics and how it played out here in uh, the series. But then that leads to a, a really big moment where I, I think it's a red herring, and it's probably going to reveal that it didn't happen. But um, the first episode ends where Bruce reveals to Dick that he went in and killed the Joker at Arkham Asylum and he's going to leave Gotham. And he tells Dick, Gotham is yours. You'd be a better Batman than I ever could. I failed in this because he lost control and guy gave into his uh, wanting to get revenge on Jason's death and killed the Joker. So they didn't show that happened. They just show Bruce telling that to Dick. And again, I think it might be a red herring. I think there's going to be something revealed where he actually didn't kill the Joker. But we'll see. So that sets the stage for Dick wanted to bring the rest of the Titans back and to operate in Gotham and in Wayne Manor, 
which is cool. And it was just great seeing the Titans in action together in that first episode with Dick in his Nightwing costume, which looks amazing. Superboy, Beast Boy, Starfire, uh, all working together. So it made for a fun action sequence in the beginning to see them all use the powers and work together then. More so than we've seen in the pre- first two seasons, which was nice. But obviously the Thrux is going to be with Red Hood. And I really love what they're doing with Red Hood in this season so far. The costume looks great. Um, the Forgive me for blanking on the actor's name. who's <laughs> playing Jason Todd. But he's doing a great job as being different than how he was as Robin into Red Hood in this. So it's just a great transition for the character. And the actor's doing a great job. And what I like about it, how this is something that they're doing different that I think works really well. Instead of kind of Bruce seeing Bruce deal with the return of Jason and how that uh, affects him as operating as Batman, we're seeing it, how it affects Dick and him, how he operates as Nightwing and as leader of the Titans dealing with Jason's return. And for a story that we've seen several times now, I like to switch up how we're seeing it more from Dick's point of view and how he's dealing with the return of Jason more so than Bruce in this series. And that the dynamic between that that we got between Nightwing and Red Hood in the few scenes that we've had so far this season have been really good. Uh, the fight scenes between there's been two of them. They're short, but man, are they sweet? <laughs> Seeing Nightwing and Red Hood go at it in live action with their costumes looking as great as they do has been fantastic. It's just awesome to see. Um, so that stuff's been great. But they've also so far turned Red Hood from pretty much an anti-hero to a full-blown villain where he's getting revenge on uh, the Titans because in the third episode, the third episode was fantastic. Probably my favorite of the season so far where he tries to lure um, the character Hawk uh, to, to try to help. Jason calls him saying, I need help. He lures Hawk in where Hawk pretty much wants to bring him down. Um, not necessarily to help him <laughs> for what he's done and how, because Red Hood's already killed several people. And instead of, so when Hawk reaches Red Hood, Red Hood traps him and plants a bomb inside his chest. And uh, I forget the exact timeline but as far as how long he had, but it was something different where it wasn't just a timer countdown. It was a heartbeat countdown where once his heartbeat reaches a certain amount, that's when the bomb goes off. So Dick has Connor Kent, Superboy, try to um, make this diffuser for the bomb. And I liked how we got to see, since Connor Kent is a clone of Superman and Lex Luthor, uh, we got to see both sides play here, where he has the brains and smart of and smarts of Lex Luthor to try to build this bomb, but yet have the speed of Superman <laughs> to try to build it in enough time to save Hawk. And um, it made for a great twist ending where this is where I feel Jason went full-blown villain mode, where um, he tries to lure Dove to get him to – I forget exactly what he was having her do. I think just to steal like these gold bonds or something to deliver it to him, and then he would give her the trigger – or the de- not the detonator, but the diffuser, so it can turn off the bomb in his heart. But Nightwing was playing it, didn't want to do that. He didn't want to work, do anything for the Red Hood to help him in whatever plan he was doing. So he was trying to do his own way to get to lure, to find Jason and try to get in, in contact with these different associates that he would have to try to find his location. But Dove didn't want to wait. She wanted to get that diffuser right away. So when she confronts uh, Red Hood and she has what he asked for. Um, he gives her a gun. He just says, the only way you're going to get the diffuser is to shoot me. Like, go on, do it. You're going to kill me to save Hawk? He's just egging her on, and Dick shows up as Nightwing's telling her not to. You know, this isn't typical hero speech. This isn't who you are. This isn't what we do. This isn't worth it. We'll find another way. Just don't kill him. But she has to save Hawk, so she pulls the trigger on her gun to kill Jason, but 
in reality, that gun was the trigger. When she shot it, um, Hawk just ends up exploding right before Superboy was able to get the diffuser. He saved it or got it built just in time. He was on his way to save him, but because she shot, pulled the gun on that trigger, it detonated it early and he blew up. So uh, we lost a major character, a Hawk, in the series. And the way they played it out was really well done. The emotional reaction that Dove had when she realized she was the one who pulled the trigger. And again, just showing um, the evil that Jason is doing here that we didn't see too much from Red Hood early on in other stories where he's just pretty much straight up a villain and doing stuff like this and not more so than being an anti-hero. So all that stuff was great. And then one aspect that we got in the last two episodes that I'm not a huge fan of is Jonathan Crane in this story. I just don't like how this actor is portraying him. It just doesn't feel like I'm seeing Scarecrow, Jonathan Crane, that I'm used to. It is a different take, and it gets revealed that him and Red Hood are working together. That gas I was telling you Jason inhaled before he went to take on the Joker was Scarecrow toxin, but it wasn't fear toxin. It was one that removes your fear, which you've seen before in several Scarecrow stories. None better than in the Batman the Animated Series episode. Never fear. I'll have to add that. Um, so, um, the one as that's one aspect I felt that isn't working just yet is that of Jonathan Crane and Scarecrow, um, and just him being the one that kind of teams up with Jason and where he's kind of the puppet master over Red Hood here. Um, this last episode that just aired called Lazarus, it was a really good one, but it just got a little overhyped for me <laughs> seeing some of the reactions of, on social media before I got a chance to watch it. Um, it was a great deep dive into the, the psyche of Jason Todd. Um, before he went uh, or before he got killed by the Joker, just seeing how he's dealing with trying to struggle being Robin and kind of being afraid at certain points because of what happened to him in the first two seasons, especially in season two with Deathstroke and how he kind of lost a little bit of his edge and he's trying to overcome uh, this problem of being afraid uh, so he could still continue being Robin. And Bruce sends him to Leslie Tompkins to try to get help and but puts him on hold for being Robin until he finishes his sessions with Leslie, but then Bruce comes to realize that um, he's just going to have to take away Robin from Jason permanently to protect him. He just, it's not right for him for his own good and safety. He shouldn't be Robin anymore. And that's what kind of sends Jason off the deep end as far as really wanting to prove himself and to take that, to go to Scarecrow or Jonathan Crane in prison to help him make that uh, formula that will take away your fear so he can, be free to be Robin without any fear or hesitation and thus prove himself to Batman. But we know where that leads him for getting killed by the Joker. And then it gets revealed that uh, Scarecrow was kind of the one who brought him back to life with a Lazarus pit that was buried in Arkham that no one knew about, apparently. And just the, their motivation for Jason becoming Red Hood just, to me, wasn't the greatest that we've seen in other stories, like under the Red Hood movie, where his motivation is because of wanting to know why Batman let the Joker live after killing after killing Jason. There's that great line where he says, I thought after me dying, that would be it. But no, you still content, continue to let him to live and to hurt others. And that's always been my favorite thrux of Jason becoming Red Hood, thus even taking on the moniker of Red Hood, of knowing that that was Joker's past um, costume identity that he had before he was a Joker. It just made uh, sense for Jason to use that. And here he doesn't really give a reason why he takes on the mantle of the Red Hood. Sure, you could just say, yeah, it's Joker killed me, and I'll just take on his old mantle. That's why. It just, but it doesn't have the same um, effect that it had from a story-wise standpoint and from Jason's character's for wanting to take on the Red Hood. 
moniker that um, he had in the comics and in the Under the Red Hood movies. So that aspect um, is one thing I wish could have been better this season is with Scarecrow and how him and the team up between Red Hood and their motivation for what they're doing. Um, maybe maybe we'll learn more about it as the season goes on, but right now it's not my favorite aspect of the season. But um, So despite a few of those things I thought could be better, I'm still really enjoying the season. I really love what they're doing with the characterization of Red Hood and his encounters or his dynamics between Nightwing and the rest of the team of the Titans so far has been really good. So I've been enjoying it. Um, Again, it's another one. I have to look to see how many episodes are in the season. But right now we're on episode five. And so far, this has been the strongest season of Titans yet. So I'm really enjoying it. So if I have to score them, I'd probably go ahead and give Titans so far a three and a half out of five. And Marvel What If, I'll probably give it a four. Both off to really good starts and just some awesome comic book TV shows to get on a weekly basis for the next few weeks. So, which is always an awesome thing to have. Uh, Titans season three is 13 episodes. Oh, thanks for providing that info. <laughs> so yeah. just a little under halfway through. And yeah. the big thing about it is because this season feels more concise and focused where on the second season, it was kind of all over the place where there was multiple story threads that were just too much for a season where you just really wanted to focus on the main one, which is the Deathstroke, Deathstroke conflict. And I'm glad so far this season they do have the Blackfire um, story arc, which is going to be, the, I guess, the B plot of the season with Starfire and her sister. But even that hasn't taken away or distracted from the main focus of being Jason in the Red Hood, which has been nice. Yeah, I'm trying to look for uh, a picture of the Scarecrow in season three. He hasn't been in costume yet. There was a oh. scene where Jason was looking through Bruce's trophy case and we saw the Scarecrow mask. That that looked good, but just the actor who's playing him doesn't look like Jonathan Crane to me and just doesn't act like how Jonathan Crane, I think, would act. Uh, I see. I don't know if this is like a, like, like a fake image, but I don't know. Looks looks all right. Did, does he have like a top like that that hat? And like it looks like he has something over his mouth. No, I haven't seen him. Maybe it's an image I just haven't seen because I assume yeah. he's going to wear a scarecrow outfit at some point, but I don't know if they reveal that yet. Oh, I see. Okay. No, I see. I think the one you're looking at is from Gotham, actually. Because I see the one with the hat. Yeah. Oh, it's from Gotham. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's a cool looking. I was going to say, say what you want about Gotham as a series, but the designs they had for Scarecrow were amazing. <laughs> he looked yeah. great on that series. They also had uh, Fish Mooney. <laughs> I forgot about that character. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she's a, a big part in Titans. <laughs> no, I don't think we're going to be seeing her in Titans. <laughs> All right, well, I, I, I guess we can move on to our next topic, which is our um, the second of our 12 episodes, Tim. Um, and this one is going to be uh, Attack of the Clones. Yes. Our top three moments from the Star Wars movie. So last episode we did Phantom Menace, and now we are doing Attack of the Clones. So, Tim. What is your third moment? So many to choose from, from this underrated Star Wars movie. Yeah. So my number three is going to be when Anakin 
discovers his mother on Tatooine and she dies in her arms. And that's kind of where we get our first full blown look at dark side Anakin and just the emotion he has on his face, the anger he has on his face and the way it was a long sequence, but still an effective one where he just takes out the entire Tusken Raider camp and how that was going to be the catalyst to kind of what we know would happen later and revenge is a Sith and just planning the way of Anakin being afraid to lose the ones that he loves and leads him down that dark path. And I just thought that scene was executed so well done. Um, it was hated Christensen's performance there and just seeing the beginnings of Anakin joining to the dark side, such a pivotal moment for the character. So that is my number three pick. Okay. So my number three pick is a pretty much the entire second part of the movie where Obi-Wan goes to, uh, for, from Obi-Wan's point of view, where he goes to uh, Camino, mm-hmm. uh, a planet that freaks me out for some reason. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the storms, maybe it's the Kaminoans, maybe it's the, uh, the, the interiors of uh, uh, like the, uh, the labs. Uh. <laughs> um, I don't know what it is. So, and that, that whole thing with Psycho Diaz, like, apparently, like, oh, he secretly commissioned a clone army. He got Django Fett to provide his DNA. And that, that whole scene, the, 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 the fight scene between Obi-Wan and Django Fett on the, on the platform. Uh, and, of course, the, the, the chase sequence through the, uh, through the asteroid belt. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, so good, <laughs> especially with those vines. The, those, those, the sound of those vines are awesome. Um, All time so yeah, right that, there. <laughs> yeah. So, so that whole sequence is my number three pick. Um, so, number two for you, Tim. Number two is going to be the Battle of Geonosis, the beginning of the Clone Wars. I mean. How awesome. I still remember how excited I was seeing that for the first time. I mean, first, just the arena battle was a lot of fun. Then you get the Jedi rescue. And then you top it off with the appearance of the clone troopers who just looked amazing right off the bat. And just got this big battle action sequence, which was just mind-blowing at the time, seeing it for the first time. I still love it to this day, almost 20 years later. And then, um, just when you think it can't get any better, you get... Anakin and Obi-Wan fighting Count Dooku, and then the moment that everyone going into the movie knew was going to happen. Yoda and his lightsaber debut was just bad. Talk, we're talking about crowd sharing moments earlier with Avengers Endgame. This was the first big one I think I've been a part of was seeing when Yoda ignited that lightsaber, everyone just losing their minds in the theaters. It was incredible. So that entire full end sequence of Attack of the Clones was just one of the best ever in Star Wars. It's just from all the because of everything I just said and everything that happens there, it is so amazing. This another why I feel like Attack of the Clones is just so overrated. Yeah, you could kind of complain about the dialogue between Anakin and Padme, but it's such a small part, I think, in the overall movie for what works so well in it. And the end sequence is one of the best in Star Wars, period. Yeah, we got the same number two, Tim. <laughs> uh, one thing I will mention is... Um, uh, when when Yoda shows up and he, uh, he he's about to fight Count Dooku, he does the he lifts his his uh, his robe and he uses the force to get his lightsaber. Uh-huh. 
he only does that once. I, I, I wish he did that again in Revenge of the Sith when he fights Palpatine. But that's so cool. Um, See, so yeah, I, I, I agree with uh, pretty much every aspect of what you said. You know, you can, you, you can you criticize Attack of the Clones for the, the, the Anakin Padme stuff, right? But, I mean, you, you get to see a, a, an army of Jedi fight for the first time. You, we've never seen that before, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel I feel like that kind of gets lost in you know people saying like oh the the dialogue between Padme and Anakin is bad you know stuff like that so yeah uh, I guess we we agree on number two so number one Tim are we going to agree on number one well probably not because my number one was your number two <laughs> everything oh. on Camino oh, I love that stuff I mean yeah. The story behind the clones, the clone troopers, the Clone Wars, it's one of my favorite aspects of just what I love about Star Wars. And seeing the, it, the origins of it here was just amazing. I love Kamino. It, is, it might freak you out a bit, Dane, but it's my favorite Star Wars planet ever. <laughs> and just how it looks with the rain, um, the, how it's the home of the clone troopers. It's just amazing seeing it here for the first time. Going Jango Fett, what we learned about Boba Fett, Obi-Wan their fight, like you said, just everything about it. It's just the highlight of the movie here. Just kind of seeing the beginnings of some in Star Wars that I love so much being uh, with the clone troopers and knowing what's come after that with Clone Wars and just seeing the different type of clone troopers we meet throughout the course of the series who've become some of my favorite characters. Um, it all begins here on Kamino and Obi-Wan discovering it for the first time in this portion of the movie. So that's my number one favorite aspect of Attack of the Clones or scenes or multiple scenes, whatever you want to call it, but everything on Camino, I just absolutely love. It's just, it looks fantastic and uh, how it starts a big story point in Star Wars is just so great. So, yeah, that is my number one for Attack of the Clones. It's funny, I, I, I like how uh, real world things are brought into Star Wars. Mm, okay. Um, you know, like uh, the, the reason why uh, Camino is a water planet is because of global warming. <laughs> yeah. And like all their cities are on mountaintops. I just think that's pretty cool. But uh, anyway, my number one is the ending. I think it has the most depressing ending. Mm. Uh, that That's not overtly depressing like Revenge of the Sith is. Sure. Mm. Uh, where you know you, you you have Anakin marrying Padme, and then you have the creation of the clone army, right? And then uh, the the clone army battalions, um, and then you see Palpatine, the, the now Chancellor Palpatine. Yeah. <laughs> With uh, emergency powers now. <laughs> yeah. Looking totally satisfied, like, oh, this is playing right into my head. Yep. <laughs> and you know it, the audience knows it, everyone knows it, except for the characters that matter. Uh, you see Bell Organa looking visibly upset. Mm. Uh, and it all culminates with, like I said, the, the, the wedding between uh, Padme and Anakin, which is not a healthy relationship. It is not, nope. <laughs> to say the least. 
and you know which, which way that one's gonna go. So, uh, and the music too with uh, Across the Stars, and then you get the Imperial March, and then you get the ending music. Um, yeah, it's probably my favorite ending music of the John Williams Star Wars uh, soundtracks. Uh, so yeah, my, my number one is the the most depressing ending of the Star Wars movies. <laughs> I mean, because if you really think about it, it's like, okay, so like Revenge of the Sith, yeah, Anakin turns into Darth Vader, right? And then, and then there's hope at the end where Luke and Leia, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Luke goes to Tatooine, Leia goes to Alderaan, there's hope for the original trilogy, right? Well, we see in the original trilogy, uh, or, or or even like something like uh, Empire Strikes Back, right? Like they, they got beat really bad right, at the end of that one, uh, especially Luke and Han. Uh, <laughs> but then th- there's a sense of like uh, togetherness, like we're together now and everything's going to be all right. And I don't know, the, the Last Jedi, let's say, right? It's like, yeah, we had to run away the whole entire movie, but we're back together now, and you know we can go forward after this, right? Uh, whereas this one is just depressing, as it, as you see, like, you know, yeah, like, it's good. No, like is that ominous? Is like, yeah, really, what the it, type of ending is? Foreboding, foreboding. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, I, I will say what I didn't. Uh, notice the first time even though I've heard the, the, the ending song millions of times hundreds of times right what, what I didn't know was right before if you listen to the last track on the Attack of the Clones soundtrack right before the Imperial March okay it's, it's pretty much the Game of Thrones I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I think John Williams wrote uh, the Game of Thrones um, theme song before yeah. <laughs> years before the show came out. I never really thought about it, but when you mentioned that, you're totally right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's my number one. Yeah, great call. <laughs> Wasn't on my top three, but still an awesome sequence and an awesome ending to Star Wars yeah. movies. That, it's like you said. I'll never understand the hate that Attack of the Clones gets by so many people. It's so unwarranted. <laughs> yeah, it's my... I don't I don't want to anger anybody, Tim. I don't want to anger you, Tim. But it well, is my second... It's my second favorite Star Wars movie. See, that makes After, me happy. It doesn't make me angry. <laughs> yeah. I know, you know, it's either something, it's something from the original trilogy, right? You can only like the original trilogy. Those are the only perfect movies to him. Right, but, but, but not the not the re-releases, not the special editions. Not the, the original, original, yeah. The original, original. That tired argument. <laughs> <laughs> Attack of the Clones rank is number five for me in my yeah. list that was so hard to even rank as a Star Wars movie. It took me forever to put together that list, but <laughs> I got it somewhat definitive. So Attack of the Clones was in the number five slot. 
Yeah, so so let me guess. So your number one is, of course, Chairman of Courage. Right? Of course, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, Second it is better one, than Battle for Endor. I, I yeah. will die on that hill, too. <laughs> but the second one is Battle Battle for Endor. Uh, your third? Uh, let's see. The Holiday Special. There you go. <laughs> Man, three. you're nailing it, Dean. <laughs> number four, The Last Jedi for you, right? Accurate. And number five, Attack of Clones. <laughs> right? Yeah, I don't don't even count the rest. Yeah, those are the five right there. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 the rest of the movies, place them wherever you want, because those, are, <laughs> those don't matter. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, that, that's our... So so next episode, we're going to do Tim's favorite movie, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Right? Yeah, well, second favorite. Second <laughs> but, favorite. Yeah, this is... Attack of Clones are so many good ones to choose from. Revenge of the Sith is even more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, can, can I guess your number one right now, Tim? And you, you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Okay, go for it. Uh, it's the it's the Vader scene. No, it is not. Okay. So <laughs> you could put the, scratch that off the list for what I'll be mentioning as my number one next time. But okay, my second is uh, you know what I'll save it. I'll save it. Too. You don't want to ruin it. <laughs> don't want yeah, to ruin the surprise. Um. So yeah. Uh, now we can get into our comic book reviews section. And now uh, Tim is going to review Batman the Adventure. Batman the Ad- Adventures continue. That's really yes. hard to say. Tim. I know. Continues. It, it's not plural. It's not continues. It's continue yeah. on the comic. <laughs> yeah. um, season two, number three. So, Tim, why don't you take it away? But our rating scale for it should be... Right, I forgot. Um, what is it? I think I, I did good on the last one. We're coming up one right away now. This one, I've, <laughs> <laughs> I'm stumped for a bit. Uh, about uh, MCU movies that Dane completely skipped. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which is probably going to be higher than what I'm going to rate this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Thor of the Dark World. Captain America. I mean, not Captain America. Uh, Iron Man 2 and 3. Or I think I saw the third one. Never mind. Captain America 2. Uh, you never seen The Winter Soldier? I thought you'd seen that. I mean, um, Iron Man. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Iron Man 2. I've seen so now you're even getting the characters it. all mixed up together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, saw Black Panther. That's uh, a pretty big gap movie. Black Widow. <laughs> uh, Black Widow. I didn't see that one. Uh, I saw Captain one Marvel. Captain yeah, yeah, I saw those two. 
the Guardians of the Galaxy ones I saw. Uh, one of the Captain America ones, the the Dark Soldier, Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because at the end of Black Panther, I think it was, was it Black Panther? The the, the end, the, the mid credit scene where it's like mm-hmm. a Bucky shows up. Yeah. I remember mm-hmm. being like, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, pretty big list of movies to skip over by the time you got to Black Panther, that end credit scene. <laughs> uh, am I missing one? So Thor, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you are. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. That's going to be our rating scale. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so Batman The Adventures continues season two, issue three. This one uh, was a great issue. It's a, pretty much a one-off unless they harken back to it in a future story arc forward, moving forward. But um, I really like the characters that they use here. And they pulled one from a great episode of the animated series that um, worked really well. So uh, basically it starts with Batman trying to take down Black Mask, who is making his debut in the animated series universe. And they need to bring in someone who can give them all the dirt and evidence they need to take down Black Mask. And that is none other than the jazz man who you remember from the episode, I am the night. So where he was the one who shot commissioner Gordon and put him in the ICU. And that just kind of threw Batman, put Batman in that depressive state. Um, as far as wondering if what he's doing as Batman is enough, should he continue doing it? It's a great episode. So uh, that episode ends with Jasmine trying to finish off Gordon at the hospital, but Batman stops him and he gets taken in prison again. So we're picking up uh, a few years after that, and Barbara, as Batgirl, is trying to help Batman uh, take down Black Mask, but Batman doesn't want her involved. And when she finds out who he's trying to get is the Jazzman, uh, she kind of takes a objection to that because uh, Bruce is keeping her off on it because she's too close to the situation. She might do something she'll regret, um, knowing that he almost killed her father. So Batman wants to leave her off this case, but Barbara it's not obviously not going to listen to him. (laughs) It is important to her to try to bring this guy into justice. And so she goes on her own to try to find him. And she does, she does uh, take the jazz man into custody after a brief fight sequence with some of his uh, men too. Um, But we learned that the huntress gets involved and it becomes one of those stories where the hero has to protect the bad guy because huntress is trying to kill him. And so that makes for some fun actions throughout the comic as far as Barbara trying to protect Jasmine on a motorcycle chase with Huntress after them. And then there's a fight in the like abandoned train yard um, where she's trying to prevent Huntress from stopping him. But then her and Huntress end up working together as uh, these thugs, they, they fight uh, kind of too much to handle for one. So they have to take them, team up, take him out. Um, but what I really loved about the story is how it used the Jasmine and tying him into Huntress's origin as well where we know her f- family was murdered by rival mob boss. And while the jazz man wasn't one of the gunmen, I liked how he was someone that still played an important part in their murder for her because him being all about music, he actually went to their pl- player piano and started playing music as her family was gunned down. And that song that he played was forever stuck and haunted in her mind to where she can't hear that song anymore. It's just, it's always playing in her head this like constant uh, sound that she hears that she wants to get rid of and thinks the only way to do that is by killing the jazz man. And so her and Barbara, they end up 
um, coming to an agreement where she'll she has to take him in in order to give uh, the police what they need to take down Black Mask. But then she kind of tells them after tonight, I, I'm not responsible for him. She doesn't hand it to the Night Huntress, but pretty much lets her know, like, I won't stop you. Or I won't get in the way, whatever you decide to do after this. So uh, they do take Black or uh, Jasmine into custody. And once they kind of get what they want to from him, they have a guard escort him back to his cell. But when the issue ends, it's revealed that, uh, or the guard starts humming this tune, and the jazz man goes, that sounds familiar. I know that song, or something to that effect. And then the guard reveals that it's actually Huntress, and she's not taking him back to his jail cell. And you just gotta see this black image, and you hear, read the sound effect like a flip-type <laughs> noise to signal her firing her arrow into him, even though we don't see it. It's heavily implied that she took him out here and so i just thought this issue kind of was a great use of bringing back a character from the animated series who was only in one episode but kind of had a a fun gimmick to him as far as being involved with music and that uh, you kind of expect batman villains to have in certain instances but yet still being someone who is like a street level gangster type villain with the musical theme to him so i always liked that aspect of that character in that episode. I thought this was a fun way to bring him back and tie him into Huntress's origin that made total sense and not just having to be, oh, he pulled the trigger and that's why I want revenge. Um, but having it be something that's more mentally involved with her pain and trauma that she has with her family being murdered and how him, her killing him would hopefully bring closer for her in that and have that song stop playing in her head. So I love all that stuff they threw in for his character and tying it into her origin. And like I said, for some fun uh, team ups and was between her and Batgirl and then kind of them going at odds with it, too. So just a really fun, great issue. Just continuing on what I love about the series so much, bringing in these new elements into the animated series universe. But yet uh, also at the same time, bringing in some characters from the TV show that you wouldn't expect to see again. So um, I'm going to give this one four out of five MCU movies that Dane has skipped which is much lower than the ones he probably actually did skip and has not seen. <laughs> yeah, much, much lower. Because it's going to grow, Dan. Uh, I don't know if you're going to see Shang-Chi and the Eternals right away, but that's just going to be more added to the list. <laughs> uh, well, the way the, the COVID-19 pandemic is going, uh, I don't think I'm going to go to the theater for that. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to chance it. Because it's not going to be streaming, right? No, not, not right away. Yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, that Eternals one looks really good. Yeah, that looks, that so, looks great. Yeah. It's going to be a little Game that's of Thrones reunion, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, from uh, Jon Snow and uh, that other guy that dies. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Stark. <laughs> Rob Stark, I forget that guy's name. See, um, I remember his name from Game of Thrones, but I don't remember the actor's name. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Let's see if you can guess it before I look it up. Uh, probably not, unless I look it up myself before you do. <laughs> Richard Madden. Okay, there you go. <laughs> let's see if I and remember it for the next time. And, uh, uh, John Snow's name is Kit Harrington. His name I do remember. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like this. The the real reason Richard Madden left Game of Thrones was his character died. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say because his character died in the books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those clickbait titles. Yeah. 
Well, I guess that's it for this episode, Deb. That was a yeah. fast one. Yeah. Short um, and sweet, but a lot of great stuff for you to watch if you haven't watched it yet <laughs> with these yeah. comic book TV shows. Sure. Um, go to the Batman Universe that net, Facebook.com slash Batman Universe. Shows, Twitter handles at Batman Universe. I mean, uh, uh, Batman Universe's Twitter handles at Batman Universe. <laughs> Got all uh, that shows out there. <laughs> <laughs> Show's Twitter handles at Beth Towns Podcast. Tim's Twitter handles at TimG311. My Twitter handles at Dan Sixth Rate and reviews on iTunes and email the show at BethTownsForAllPants at gmail.com. So, with that, like we say at the end of every single episode, we love each and every one of you with all of our MCU movie hearts, even the ones that we have not seen. Or I should say the ones Dane has not seen. Because <laughs> I've seen all <laughs> multiple times. <laughs> I, I missed a few, man. I missed a few. It's just a few. Just a few. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody.